pastor here at Rock City Church in the awesome body of Christ, Corpus Christi, Texas. Yeah. All right. Hey. So this morning, I'm going to be continuing with a series that I started last week titled Fame. And last week, I talked about the, the fact that there's a difference with fame and fortune in the kingdom versus fame and fortune in the world system. And my purpose for giving this message is, one, to help you understand more about the culture that we're building and how we're building it, but to also get the world out of your life, okay? Now, we're not enemies with the world or against the world. We're in it. We're just not of it. And what we want to do is, really, is be really great lights and an influence and an accurate example of what real Christians and sons and daughters should look like when anybody tunes in online, listens to the podcast, meets you at your workplace, in everything and in anything that you do, I want you to be an accurate reflection and an example of who he is, okay? So fame and fortune in the world typically looks like this. You're, you're noticed, you have notoriety, you're popular, you're famous because... You're gifted, you're talented, you're a celebrity, your musical abilities, people know you, or something that you have to give or offer or said became really popular or went viral, okay? Now, there's nothing wrong with having followers, and there's nothing wrong with having people like you, but the problem is, is in the world system, being famous usually leads to having a fortune or a lot of money, and that usually defines what success is. I've made it, people know me, or I'm really popular or successful, or I've made a lot of money, hence people really like me. Trust me, the more money you have, if you win the lottery, you will suddenly have a lot of friends, right? And so we all have seen celebrities burn out, pro athletes burn out. We've seen it. They're making millions and millions of dollars in their contracts or their record deals or their you know, movies that they produce, and in turn, they burn out or they blow up. We see it all the time, right? I mean, all the time. And we think, man, they're making millions of dollars. They could have anything that they want, but they've just crashed and burned big time. We've seen it with so many people. You can actually do a Google search on the downfalls or pitfalls of fame, and you can find story after story after story of celebrities and pro football athletes or uh, players, pro athletes that have crashed and burned. There's even research and studies on what happens to people when they become famous. And the typical thing that happens when somebody becomes famous, and you'll hear this from a lot of celebrities and pro athletes or people that are really, really popular, is they become isolated. They don't have a lot of friends, real friends. They're, they're, the people that they used to have around them grow smaller and smaller and smaller. And even though they have a lot of fans and notoriety and are popular, they're isolated and depressed. And when they're isolated and depressed, they do drugs and you know become alcoholics and they spin out. And we've seen it time and time again. And so today I want to talk to you about what real fame and fortune looks like in the kingdom and the fact that God actually does bring fame and fortune to your life, but it's a lot different than what the world's fame and fortune looks like. Last week, I taught you about a principle called the least. So Jesus said, if anybody wants to be great among you, let him become the least. He who is last will be first, and the first will be last. So in the kingdom, it's not survival of the fittest, it's survival of the most broken. It's the survival of the most desperate. It's survival of the most humble, where we take our gifts and our talents and our abilities, 
and we humble ourselves instead of trying to self-promote ourselves, and now we freely give it away to serve others. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Now, do we need people to serve and work? Yes, we do. Is the kingdom built on people working and serving and honoring one another, serving the Lord? Even at the end, the Lord's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But more than a servant, Jesus calls us friends. He wants us to be a friend of God, friends that honor him, that work in the kingdom to build and establish his purposes on earth. That's what he wants. And so service is important. The challenge is, is that if everything you do is about serving and working, you'll find your identity and your value in what you do instead of who you are. God values you first based on who you are. Most, not all, corporate churches beat the drum of service every single Sunday. Work, 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 work. Serve, 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 serve. Now, this church is only about 600 people, and if we were 1,000, 2,000, 10,000, people might say, well, you gotta, you got to hit the service thing even harder. I disagree. I think that you've got to beat the drum of family and identity and people being valued for who they are because when you know who you are confidently and you know what the master's doing as a friend, guess what? You're saying, what can I do? You produce fruit, you're strong, you've got deep root systems, and you're in a good place where you won't fall into pride and destruction. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So remember, in the kingdom, it's about the least, and it's about taking care of the micros or the smallest or the most seemingly insignificant. So if God raises you up and makes you great, he does it for a purpose, and that purpose is to advance his kingdom and to take care of his people. Remember that. Your job, your finances, everything he gives you is designed with a purpose. If you've become wealthy, and I know a lot of wealthy people, if they learn to use the success and the wealth that God has given them for God's purposes to build his kingdom, God typically gives them more. But that's not the case for everybody. You know why? Because it's not based on what you have. It's based on who you are. And a lot of people that are in very wealthy positions have very broken hearts, don't they? And so success in God's kingdom is to have a healthy heart and to be mentally put together so when God gives you things and raises you up and puts you in leadership, you don't spin out or burn out or blow up, right? Too many wealthy people that I know are divorced multiple times because they threw all their value and their work into the pursuit of material wealth and gain. I see it all the time. And I don't want that for you, but I do want you to be prosperous and successful. So what I'm doing is I'm teaching you the main thing first so that when God begins to raise you up, you keep the healthy perspective of humility. So today we're going to talk about fame, and we're going to talk about fame's ally, which is humility, but we're going to talk about also fame's enemy, which is pride. You got to get this today. I'm going to teach you guys some good stuff, all right? So never forget the least. Jesus says, as much as you've done to the least, you've done to me. So we actually take care of Jesus by doing what? Taking care of the least. When he describes the body, he says the least becoming body part deserves the most honor. That's how it works in the kingdom. To prove the point, just realize this. He picked you. Some of you will get that. He picked you. He picked me. In and out of jail, on the streets, drug dealer, hurting, using, broken, 
uh, abusing people, very broken and outcast. God uses the weak things of this world to confound the wise. And he picked weak, broken you when you were without strength and ability to do it on your own. And he said, watch what I can do for you. That's the way the kingdom works, okay? It's the survival of the weakest. That's the way it works, all right? Now, I want to clarify something because there seems to have been some miscommunication about my message last week. Some people were feeling guilty about, you know, trying to get followers on their Instagram and promoting their business and promoting what they do. And they were like, oh, gosh, I don't really understand. Let me clarify something. There's nothing wrong with being liked, and there's nothing wrong with having followers. Jesus had followers, and he was really liked. But the question is, who's really getting the glory? Because we'll even get the glory and use it in God's name. How many times have you seen on the Oscars or the Emmys or the Tonys, people stand up, they get the award, a celebrity gets the award, and they say, I want to give all glory to God. But when you look at their lives, they're not giving all glory to God. Am I right? So now suddenly because I won the award, it was all God. Even though I live like the devil and I'm giving a terrible example of what kingdom life should look like. Does anybody say anything wrong with that? So there are a lot of people that lay claim to God, but their lives are a total disaster. Please don't be that person. Now, you can be in mess, in, a, in process. You can be a beautiful mess. So like a lot of you right now are really in process in a beautiful mess. You got struggles, challenges. You're overcoming addictions, hurts, pains, marriage on the rocks, fear, worry, doubt. You're in the right place. You've come to the right place or you're watching for the right reason, because that's what we do. But what I don't want you to do is when suddenly you get popular or successful or something good happens, you're always putting it on God when you didn't choose to live right. It sets a terrible precedence and a terrible example, okay? So fame looks a lot different in the kingdom. God wants to get the glory, and he doesn't share the glory with anybody except for the fact that he puts his image on his sons and daughters. So when he says the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the whole earth, tag your it. Because glory, another definition for glory is manifest image. Now you become like him and you look like him and you sound like him and you act like him and now you become a representation of the glory of the Lord on earth. But when God says, my glory, I won't share with another, what he means is the credit first goes to him because he's the one that made you who you are and rescued you and redeemed you and transformed you and put his gifts and talents and abilities in you and then promoted you. Don't try to take the credit for yourself. But on the flip side, you can fall into false humility. Oh, it's all Jesus. I'm like, you did a really good job today, Pastor Marlene. Oh, it's all Jesus. I'm like, uh-uh. You were obedient and co-labored with them. I want to say thank you to you. And it doesn't mean I'm taking credit away from God. But if the Lord made her who she is, and I'm grateful, so I honor her for that. Do you understand? I'm not taking God's glory, but she can fall into this weird false humility. People do it all the time. Man, thank you so much. Oh, it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. Really? Now, it's all Jesus that got us where we are, that gave us what we have, that made me who I am. I acknowledge that all the time, and I can't say I did anything super great to do it, but I did stay faithful to trust him and to plow the ground, and if you come say, man, pastor, thank you so much for starting this church. 
Thank you so much for loving the way that you do. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say thank you. Sometimes you just need to say thank you. Is that all right? Okay, good. I didn't say any of this first service, by the way. I'm going on a whole nother direction right now. So self-promotion can be deceptive. Self-promotion can be deceptive. However, there's a difference between promoting church or God versus promoting your business or your product. Jesus is not a product. I'm not selling you a product of Jesus. He's a person. He's God. His presence is here. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. I don't run my coffee shop the way that I run Rock City Church. Rock City Church is not run like a business, FYI. And I do not believe that the church should be run like a business. Do I have a lot of business skills and wisdom and insight and understanding? Have I read all the leadership books uh, by some great leaders? Yes. Have I served under great leaders? You bet I have. Do I run my business well? I believe that I do, yes. But the way that I run my business is not the way that I run this church. I run the church based on family. I run the business based on the fact that we need to make some money. Let's just not kid ourselves, guys. Yes, my coffee shops build community, and I want them to build community. But if it's not making money, it's shut down, right? I'm not, I'm not hiring staff. I'm not able to pay their paychecks. I'm not paying my taxes. I'm not supplementing my own income, which is a very nice thing as a pastor. I don't have to be so desperate and dependent upon the giving of the people. It keeps me in the world. It keeps me very connected with the world, okay? It's a special thing that God's given me, and not every pastor has that privilege, by the way, and that's okay. Each person has their own allotment and what God has given them, okay? And so I don't run this church the way that I run my business. I don't say coffee waves for the glory of God. Yeah! Even though coffee waves and the, the success of it and the fact that I honor God in it can give God the glory. At the end of the day, it's a business designed to make money. Yes, I want to build community, but it needs to be prosperous. And I run it like a business. People get fired if they're late or don't clean or don't work or get bad service. Here, people get moved or take breaks or we, we really dig deep to see what's going on. What happened? How did that happen? How can we help you? How do we work with you? I'm not sitting, if somebody steals from me or robs me or does something really, really bad at my coffee shop, I'm not saying, no, I really want you to you know, keep your job. Let's sit down and have a nice three-hour deliverance session. I have employees that don't even believe in God. So it's, I can't do that. There's some I can because I happen to employ a lot of baristas that work at the coffee shop. But my point I'm trying to make is I run them differently. Anybody can come to my coffee shop. Atheists, Satanists, Buddhists, Muslims, non-believers, agnostics, anybody. And they can just keep spending money and buying my coffee. That's a pretty awesome thing. And I'm not sitting at the counter going now, listen, before you buy this latte, what do you believe? You understand? So it's not a covert Christian coffee shop, just so y'all know. I don't allow people to evangelize or proselytize. I want anybody and everybody to come into Coffee Waves and feel safe and know that it's an incredible atmosphere for them to study, drink good coffee, and be treated exceptionally well by my staff. And I want people to look in from the outside and go, wow, 
What is it about this place? I want them to walk in and feel a different atmosphere. I want them to know that they're loved. I want them to know that they, that they can come and not ever have to worry, even though a pastor owns the coffee shop. That's pretty awesome, right? And so here, though, what I want is everybody to flame on spiritually and give God the glory and be born again and be transformed, and I have no shame about it. And I treat the staff and the employees and the leaders and the volunteers as family, not as a product or a number or an asset that's easily disposable. So there's a difference. And I want Coffee Waves to be famous. Heck yeah. I mean, seriously, I want to open 10 more shops. I'd love it to become a chain all up and down the East Coast. If that's what God wants, or all up and down the Gulf Coast, come on. Coffee Waves Key West, Coffee Waves Destin, Coffee Waves San Antonio Riverwalk. It's kind of like the ocean. Yeah. And so, yeah, I want more followers. I want it to be prosperous. I want it to be promoted. But at the end of the day, behind all the promotion and the prosperity and the coffee shop being known, I have to make sure that I'm in a good place to sustain what's going to come, and God knows that, okay? It's different with the church. Do I want you guys to subscribe and like and follow? Yes. But the purpose behind it isn't so we can just be famous or more known, but it's so that people can see and experience the life and the message and the love and the power that's coming out of me and coming out of you and coming out of this house. So we live in a day and age where people will watch me first or hear this first or peer in from the outside before they'll even come sometimes because it's so easy with technology. So there's nothing wrong with promoting your business or product. It's okay to be great in business. And it's okay to use the success and the money and the finances that God gives you if you do it for the right reasons. It's all right. But the lines have to be clear and the motives and the actions have to be right. Let's not lay claim to God and say that we're doing this for God when we're really doing it for ourselves and to line our pockets or grow our own kingdom. You don't have to be a history maker. You'll automatically be a history maker when you get born again and get in position and then God raises you up and promotes you to do what he sees fit for your life because he knows what's best for you. Many people in the name of God, even Christians, will build kingdoms, build ministries, for all the wrong reasons. Not everybody, but many. So your heart needs to be in the right place. You have to first be valued for your identity and know that God has made you a son and a daughter, and that's what makes you great. Even good intentions can kill you. So I have many people say to me, well, I want to make a, I want to make a lot of money. I want to be wealthy or I want to be rich. This is what I hear. I hear this a lot. I want to be wealthy and rich so that I can advance God's kingdom. Let me correct you, okay? Take a look at this scripture in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters. Everybody say two masters. Either you're going to hate one and love the other or be loyal to the one or despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. Now, the word mammon is not money. The word mammon's not money because money in and of itself is not evil. It's greed and the love of it that's evil. But in and of itself, we need money to fix the roof, expand, pay the lights, take care of the people that work hard here to help the hurting and the broken and the lost and the outcast. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we need money, right? 
our family. I mean, money in and of itself, I want y'all to make more money. Wouldn't you guys, is there anybody here that doesn't want to make more money? Don't raise your hand because I'll be praying for you. But the thing is, is more money with a broken heart's a problem. Just watch the show, The Lottery Killed Me. I don't even know what the show's called. But, you know, lottery millionaires that burned out, blew up, and died, and got shot, and stolen, and robbed from. All these people you think, you know, all those people that suddenly became their friend when they won millions and millions of dollars actually robbed, stole, killed, and it was only about them. And so even the good intention to get the career to make more money or to be successful in business to make more money. And your pursuit is, I got to make more. I got to make more. I love money. I love money. Look what the scripture says. Either you're going to love one or you're going to hate the other. Because here's what happens. The word mammon is the English word avarice. And the word avarice means the pursuit of material gain and wealth. It's not money in and of itself. It's the pursuit of material gain and wealth. So if you say, man, I really want to be wealthy, I want material gain, and I'm going to give God all the glory with it, but God, give me more and I'll honor you with it. Broken, broken, wrong intention. Here's why. Because it becomes your master. It's always about making more. I got to get more. I got to get more. I got to make more. I got to make more. I got to make more. And what Jesus is saying here is I want to be your only master. Jesus is the only one that wants to be the Lord of your life. Don't let mammon, the pursuit of material gain and wealth, take over your life. It's so subtle. Trust me, it's so subtle. Even in our expansion, it's not about more mammon or the pursuit of more. You guys should know that with me by now at this church. I care about you. It's not about nickels and noses. It's not about more money and more people. It's about taking care of the least and representing God accurately and doing it with power so that people can see the contrast of what the differences between light and dark is, okay? And so avarice or mammon will kill you. It'll become your master, and it'll even be, some people do it even in the name of God. I got a better way for you. You ready? God, Jesus told a parable of a, of a rich ruler who, de, who handed out talents to one five, one two, and one one. And you know how he decided how to give it to them? Based on their ability. Jesus knows what you need, and he knows how to give it to you. And if you're working the most menial, tedious job, I don't care if you're a bus boy, a bus girl, or you sweep floors and mop, sometimes those are the most noble positions that God uses to teach you and to raise you up. And he knows what you can sustain and what you can't. Because if you get promoted prematurely or get too much success too fast or get into a leadership position where everybody's looking up to you, you could crash and burn out. That's why I move really slow at Rock City Church. I just want you to know. We have a lot of gaps here. But I move slow to fill those gaps because I'd rather have the right people who are functioning based on nature and identity so that when they get into that leadership position, they don't let the titles or the success or the leadership or the authority or the oversight burn them out, fry them out, or kill them. I'm going to show that to you. I'm going to show you that here in just a moment. Good intentions can kill you. Gaining the whole world, you guys know the scripture. The scripture is Mark 8:36. What good is it if you gain the whole world and 
lose your own soul. This isn't just when you die. There's people living now to gain the world, and they're losing their soul. That's the difference between the kingdom of God. You, if you are born again, you are different than the world system. In fact, in the kingdom of God, it's exactly opposite. In the kingdom of God, it goes like this. Godliness with contentment equals great gain. So God says, have real religious piety, not false religious piety. You can look that up. I've taught that before. It's titled Great Gain. You can find it on my podcast. Great gain comes from godliness and contentment. You know what contentment is? God knows exactly what I need right now, and I have full lordship, and he will build this church or build my life when he's ready in his way. I'll stay in position and trust you and keep it about the main thing. That's how I got here to begin with. Why would I freak out about where I'm going? Neither should you. So you learn to stay godly and content. <clears throat> Does it mean I don't want more? No. But it means that God knows where I'm at and I'm fully satisfied right now. If you start hearing me say, I'm not satisfied with this church. I'm not satisfied with where I'm, we've got to expand. Come on, people, give your money. Come on, God, do it. What's taking so long? That would be a problem. Instead, we learn to stay rested. And it'll happen in God's time and in God's way. Mark my words. You're going to learn this lesson because we're all in this boat together. And so there's no profit to gain the world and lose your own soul. And there's a lot of people that have gained the world, but they've lost their own soul. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be noticed, known, or valued. Everybody wants to be valued. People want to receive honor, and it's okay to be noticed. It's okay to be known. But the question that I have for you is what are you valued and known and noticed for? In the world, for so many women, it's their body, their looks, or their talents, or their gifts, instead of who they really are. Okay? If you don't want to be noticed or known, my question to you would be why? Many times it's due to false humility, insecurity, or fear. I don't need to be known. You know, don't, don't, don't pick me. I, I don't want anybody to know me. Well, that's unbiblical. Because even Jesus was exalted based on his humility, and the people that were promoted in Acts 6 had a good reputation. God wants to give you a good reputation. I think everybody wants a good reputation. And so being known and God raising you up, you're his children. Now, anybody here that's a parent will understand what I'm about to say. I, want, I'm not, I don't want my kids to be famous in the world's eyes. I want my kids to be famous in God's eyes and to find their value. But I want my kids to be successful and to be raised up in everything God has for them. I love my kids. My kids bear my namesake. I want them to reflect and represent well. The Bible says that we're the body of Christ. The, the foot can't say to the ear or the eye or the hand can't say to another body part, I have no need of you, which means we need each other. So if you're not known, how will I ever be able to give back and forth with you, to reciprocate, to have symbiotic connection, where together we're stronger than individually? That's what a body does. And so to just hide out oftentimes is false humility or shame, because shame always hides 
and shame always blames. It doesn't mean you have to be popular. It doesn't mean that you have to be famous. But God has a way of raising you up and promoting you and utilize you. And even the Bible says, he who desires the work of an overseer desires a good thing. It's okay to be desirous of, of promotion as long as our hearts are in it for the right reasons. As long as pride is rooted out and we're in a good spot where we can sustain it and where we can contain it. That's what I believe. And so I don't want you to have false humility. False humility looks like this. I have many couples that come to Rock City that are living together, and they, are, they come here, they love me, they love the church, they love the atmosphere, and they stay. And then over the course of time, God begins to speak to them about the fact that they should probably get married, they love each other, and they want to live right, and they don't want to live in sin anymore. God does the convicting. And so they, then they come to me and say, Pastor, we want to get married. I said, okay, well, you know, let's talk about your life, your relationship. Let's talk about you honoring God. You know, I want you guys to commit to celibacy until the time you get married. I want you guys to do this right. And they're like, we want to do it right. So I help them and I coach them. And it comes down to doing the wedding. Many times the bride-to-be will say to me, well, I don't want a, really want a big wedding. I just want like two or three people or no one to come. Can you just meet us on the beach? And I'm like, okay, why? And they say, well, I've either A, I've been married before, and I did a big wedding, I don't want to do that again, or B, and, and that's okay. I'm not saying that's not okay, but I'm trying to dig to a deeper root of what the reasoning is. And many times what I have found is due to shame or due to false humility, they're like, I don't want to make this about me. It's really not that big a deal. I'm like, wait a minute. You're, about to, you're going to get married and do this right in God's eyes, and you don't want this to be about you? Jesus hung on the cross for his bride. Jesus is coming back for his bride. That's how, I mean, there's going to be an all-time wedding in heaven one day. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb. And he's working on his bride. And so what I'm telling you is a lot of times it's shame, it's false humility, it's an inaccurate understanding of what marriage is about. And so I help bring these ladies out of insecurity and fear. And we, man, they get delivered, the shame. And next thing you know, we have a rock and wedding. Like, well, we don't have any money. I said, we'll split the chairs. You don't need much here, and I'll come do the ceremony for you, or Jeremy will, or Pastor Marlene will. And we've done it many times, and their lives have been transformed. And so sometimes you're saying, I don't want anybody to see me or know me, or I just want to stay in the shadows. That can be false humility. And that's an, a misguided understanding of what God wants to do in your life. On the flip side, maybe God has you in obscurity and doesn't, doesn't need you to step up to the plate right now, but rather find your identity and grow in who you are. But that's where leaders help you with that. We inspect your life. A great example is Mark Marquez. Mark Marquez walked into this church angry at God. He only came because his kids were in the Christmas production. He'll tell you. He didn't even want to be here. And when he came, he just stood in the back on his phone the whole time, just mad. But God started working on him. There was something about Rock City Church, and the Holy Ghost starts working on his life. He and Tina are living together. So sweet, so awesome. She's amazing. God starts working on them. Thanks to Jeff and Lacey who kept inviting them. They came back. Then they came back. Then they came back. And next thing you know, he gets flamed on in his identity as the son. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He walks through forgiveness and healing. And I make him sit for a year and a half 
before he does anything to make sure he produced fruit and didn't find his value or his identity or get his self-esteem needs met based on what he does because that's how it was before. And that's why sometimes, yeah, you do need to just sit and grow and let God rewire you. But you need to trust the fact that God puts leaders and people in your life to help you in that process, to discover you. You can't do it on your own. At the same time, you can't be promoted prematurely. Okay? Fame, notoriety, success are often synonymous with being popular or fortunate. However, in the kingdom of God, these words represent an accurate reflection of who God is and then producing that in others. That's what Jesus did. So take a look at Mark chapter 1, verse 28. I shared this with you last week. Jesus springs on the scene. He's busting up demons. He's teaching with power and authority. He's doing new things that nobody had ever seen. And it says that Jesus's fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. The fame spread just by Jesus doing what he was supposed to do and who, being who he was. Look at his response in verse 45. Jesus heals a leper. He tells the leper, don't tell anyone. The leper goes and tells everyone. And it says Jesus, Jesus became so popular and so famous that he could no longer openly enter the city. But he was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Now think about this. Jesus could have done the opposite. He could have made his disciples his bodyguards and said, hey, fame, notoriety, popularity, this is who I am. Let's roll into the city now. You guys protect me. Let's get some organizational structure. Let's build a really big ministry, and let's make ourselves known. But instead, you know what Jesus did when his fame and popularity came? He retreated to the deserted places. And even when you make the decision to retreat to the deserted places, but you're doing what Jesus called you to do, guess what God does? He brought the people from every direction. Even in, because he didn't make it about being popular and known, guess what happened? He became popular and known. Doing incredible works for the kingdom and others can produce great notoriety and fame. Leadership, gifting, revelation, teaching. There's a lot of people that I follow that I really like. Online, on Instagram, Facebook. There's a lot of speakers out there that have gotten a lot of fame and notoriety that I like to listen to. And I don't see any issue or problem with them having fame and notoriety. Okay? It's not necessarily a bad thing. But at the same time, it can become incredibly detrimental if you are promoted or elevated into a position of fame or leadership prematurely. I'm going to show it to you right now in Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. Paul is telling his spiritual son Timothy to not promote the work, someone to work in the ministry that is a novice. You know what a novice is? In the Greek, the word for a novice is a neophyte. You know what a neophyte is? It's a compound word, the word neo meaning new, and phyto meaning plant. It means a sapling tree that is yet to establish very deep roots so that when persecution and adversity and hardship come, they don't blow over or get uprooted. It means that they're producing fruit in their life. And the only way that we can know that is out of relationship. And the only way we can accurately raise people up is when they have deep roots and are producing fruit. Now, we teach people, we train people, 
We have ushers and greeters and children's workers and volunteers. Many of them haven't given their lives to the Lord that much, you know, that far ago. But we're coaching them and training them, but I'm not elevating them into a, a great title position of overseeing work because what can happen is they can get puffed up. If they find their value based on what they do and something goes astray or awry or I move them or God shows me something different, if they were puffed up in their position, they fall into pride. And it's the same pride that the devil had which led to condemnation. You can't entrust too much to somebody too soon. That's why some of you might, may be struggling and feeling like, well, why aren't they seeing me? Why aren't they knowing me? Don't they see what I do? First of all, God sees what you do. He knows who you are. He knows what you need and what you're capable of. And you're going to have to trust that that promotion will come from him at the right time. The best thing that you can do is what? Dig deep roots and produce fruit in your life. Lasting fruit. To be puffed up means to be blind with conceit. It means to be high-minded or haughty. That's what it means to be puffed up. So when people become high-minded or haughty, they fall into pride. And you know what pride leads to? Condemnation. I like this word condemnation. It's different than in John chapter 3 when Jesus talked about the world's already in condemnation. So he came to break the world out of condemnation. The word condemnation in John 3 is the word crisis. They're already, it's, people are already in crisis without Jesus. Many don't realize it or know it because they're stubborn. But this word for condemnation related to the word crisis is the word crimea, which is the word crime. It means to have committed a crime. And hence, the term is a legal term that people are found guilty with and hence receive a sentencing or a judicial decree. That's what happened to the devil. So when you're puffed up with pride, that leads to a crime. And in turn, it leads to, you, to your downfall. Look at the next verse. The next verse says that we have to have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest we fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. To have a good testimony on those on the outside means that you have a good reputation with who? Your coworkers, your classmates, you manage your home well, you manage your personal life well. Those are the qualifications for God to use you more and more and more in your life. So many times people come to me or I get in a relationship with you, I say, you know what, now's the time for you to work on yourself. Let's get your marriage healthy. Let's get your heart healthy. Let's get you married if you're not, you know, and you're living with that person and you love them, you want to do the right thing. You're committed to them for life. You're both born again and flamed on. I officiate those ceremonies all the time. We want to help people <clears throat> get into a good place so they can be above reproach. We've got to be above reproach, guys. We represent the king of kings. And so what happens is, is when people aren't above reproach, they fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. Okay? The word repro reproach is another really good word that I like to teach new words. It's the word contumely. The word contumely means an insulting or insolent language or treatment. Here's what it means. The devil will lie to you and lie to everyone else around you, and you've given him the, the right and the authority to slander you. 
The devil can try to lie to people about all day long, about me all day long. But I know that before God and before man, I'm living upright and pure and integrous. How I manage my life and impurity and how I manage the church. It doesn't really matter what the devil says now. But the main thing is that I don't give him grounds to be right. And that's why it's important that we're above reproach. And that's why it's important that we don't allow ourselves to get puffed up with pride. And it's also important that I don't prematurely put people in positions and places. Now, some of you are, are here at Rock City Church may be feeling insignificant in your life or struggling or feeling, man, you know, I really want to do so much more, but I feel like I can't and I don't know how. You're going to have to trust God and you're going to have to get into relationship so that we can discover you and discover where you're at in your life and trust that you're not going to be beat down and that my leadership team is going to manifest the devil on you. Because some of you have been in situations where that's happened. Okay? You're going to have to trust the process. And then the next thing is, what's a snare? The snare of the devil? A snare is a booby trap, a noose, or something happening to you unexpectedly. The best thing you can do is to stay in position, grow fruit, and dig roots, and trust God in the process and the time. So let me set the record straight for everyone here. You're already famous when you're born again. When you give your life to Jesus, the devil puts a target right on you. When you make the decision to move further spiritually, the devil does all he can to hold you back. Or he'll try to falsely promote you or tell you things that you're not ready for that you'll believe, which will cause pride, just like it happened to him. Okay? So you're famous. The enemy knows your name. The Lord really knows your name because now you're a son and a daughter. Fame isn't the way the world is. Fame and notoriety has a time. Jesus had a time, didn't he? That's why he said when he turned the water to wine, my, he told his mom, my time's not come yet. God knows what's best for you, and it's in his time. He knows what's best for you. It's in his time, not ours. Fame's greatest enemy is pride. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The word haughty means that we, are, we think we're arrogantly superior. I know more than the pastor. I know more than Marlene. I know more than Jeremy. He, people have said to me, well, he's young. He doesn't know that much, whatever. He's never been in the spot. So what? He was faithful. He's healthy. He's strong. He got promoted. He's grown. God highlighted him, and we're called to love and honor and support him. Same with anybody else in a leadership position in this church. Okay? So we can never allow superiority or a haughty spirit. You pro some of you probably do know more than me, and that's okay. I can learn from you too. We can learn from each other. So pride will ultimately lead you to destruction, and a haughty spirit comes before a fall. Okay? And I don't want any of you to fall. I don't want any of you to fall. Pride leads to a life of spiritual crime that'll get you locked up. Let me give you a great biblical example. I'm going to give you a couple examples, and I'm going to read them quickly because I want to show you in the Bible how somebody became incredibly prideful and it led to their destruction. What happened was, was about, oh, probably seven months ago, I was reading Isaiah, and I read this scripture, Isaiah 6, 1, and here's what I read. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe 
build the temple. That's what I was reading. And I'm like, oh man, he had this awesome vision. The Lord's high and lifted up and the train of his robe, the glory of God is filling the temple. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, there's a greater point. And I read again and I caught it. I thought to myself, why does it matter in the year that King Uzziah died? Why does that even have to be put in there? Because I, like everything I read, I'm like, why is that there? Why is that there? What's God trying to say? I'm like, you know, be like in the year that so-and-so died. You know, like in the year that George Herbert Walker Bush died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Yeah, it's not so big deal. Yeah, former president passed away this year, not long ago. But in the scripture, I think God was trying to say something. So I started to do some research on King Uzziah. I wanted to know what's the significance of that being in this scripture. Because he's having this vision revelation and he wanted you to know it was the year that he died. So I said, let's look at King Uzziah's life. Okay. So let's take a quick read of 2 Chronicles chapter 26, starting at verse 4. 2 Chronicles 26, starting at verse 4. To give you a little bit of pretext here, Uzziah came into his kingship at 16 years old. He had a father named Amaziah who was unfaithful to the Lord because his, he wasn't wholehearted. And so now King Uzziah gets promoted into position at 16 years old. Verse 4, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. This next line is important. And as long as he sought the Lord, what happened? God made him prosper. As long as he sought the lordship and the headship of, of the Father, he didn't, obviously didn't know Jesus then, but as long as he sought the Lord, God would make him prosper. Okay? Verse 6. Now he went out and he made war against the Philistines and he broke down walls of Gath and Jabna and Ashdod and he built cities around Ashdod among the Philistines. Verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines, the Arabians, and against the Munites. Also the Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah. And what happened? Scripture says that his fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt and he became exceedingly strong. So through the great conquests, God helping him, him seeking the Lord, what happened? He became famous, right? He became famous. Verse 9. Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, the valley gate, at the corner buttress of the wall, and then he fortified them. So this guy's rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem He's fortifying the gates. He's fortifying the city. Verse 10, he also built towers in the desert, which by the way, they have, archaeologists have found many of the towers that he has dug in Israel today or that he built. He dug many wells for he had much livestock, both in the lowlands and in the plains. He also had farmers and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. I'd say this guy's pretty rocking. He's got farms. He's got land. He loved the land. He was planting vineyards. He was rebuilding the city, rebuilding the towers. 
Look at verse 11. He had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies according to the number of their role. Verse 12, the total number of chief officers of the mighty men of valor was 2,600. So he had 2,600 chief officers that were mighty men of valor. That's a lot of people. Verse 13, and under their authority was an army of 307,500. That's a lot of people. That's a pretty big army that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. Then Uzziah prepared for them, for the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and slings, and cast stones. He made devices in Jerusalem, invented by skillful men, to be on the towers and the corners, to shoot arrows and large stones. And what happened? His fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped until what? Now, some of you might know where I'm about to go with this. This king was rocking. New inventions, new inventions for war, rebuilt the city, great, great farmer, great vineyards, hundreds of thousands of people in his army, great leaders that were mighty men that were helping him. God was helping. He was being propelled in every way so long as he sought the Lord until he became strong or he became powerful. Verse 16. But when he was strong, what happened? But when he died, who was lifted up? Isaiah 6.1. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Because what was happening was, when Uzziah was king, he was lifting himself up. And the people were looking to him because he was the leader, and he chose to stop serving the Lord when he became powerful. It says, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. Pride. He became prideful. And it says, he transgressed the Lord, his God, by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the to, to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, the Levitical law required only the descendants of Aaron could go in to offer incense and burn incense and sacrifice in the temple. But he became so prideful that he said, I can do it in my own strength. Look at what God's, he probably even put God's name on it. God's blessed me so much that now I can override that and he actually broke God's law and guess what happens? He gets broken because you don't break God's laws, they break you. As soon as he got prideful, as soon as he became powerful, he thought he could do it on his own strength. So he goes into the temple and it says 80 priests followed after him to tell him not to. And you know what he did? He started chewing them out and cussing them out up and down, reviling them in rage. The Bible says in rage. In, can you imagine? In the temple where the sacrifice is being made, he's there ready to burn incense. The priests come to stop him and he starts chewing them out in rage. And you know what happens? He gets struck with leprosy. And he sees it. And as soon as he gets struck with leprosy, they rush him out of the temple. And now he has to go into isolation alone by himself at home because of leprosy. And his son had to take the reins and he could no longer lead the nation. That's pretty crazy. In the year King Uzziah died, in the year that your pride dies, 
in the year that you lift yourself up and it dies, God says, watch my lordship. Powerful parallel. Powerful parallel. We got to root pride out of our life, everybody. We got to root pride out of our life. I was going to tell you a story about David. I'll just sum it up for you, and you can go read it on your own. I'll probably teach on it again one day. David, there was a time in David's life when he became so powerful that he too fell into pride. The scriptures that you can go read for homework or on your own are 1 Chronicles 20 and 21. In 1 Chronicles 20, it says that in the year the kings go out to war, David sent Joab and stayed back. Now, you guys probably know the story. David sends Joab over the Jordan River into Ammon, Ammon Jordan, which, which then was called Ramah. And David stays back. Now, at this time, there were a couple of things that were going on. David and his mighty men destroyed the final giants in the land. And David finally takes the entire promised land of the territory from one border to the other. David takes the whole promised land territory. So David stays back. And then he sends Joab, his military officer, over the Jordan River into Ramah, which is modern-day Ammon, Jordan. I'm just going to tell you the story. You guys go read it. All the enemies are defeated. Now he's sending Joab over the Jordan River which is actually back towards where they came from, from captivity. He's already conquered the promised land. While he's hanging out at the house on the top of his palace, you should know the story, he sees Bathsheba and he commits adultery. And then he sends Bathsheba's husband out to the battle with Joab. Joab, ultimately, Uriah dies, Joab takes the city. And then he calls David to come do the final entrance. Because Joab didn't want to get the glory, he wanted the king to get the glory. So David, at the same time that he's committed adultery, he's had an affair, he's got the girl pregnant, he kills the husband, he now goes and takes the final march into modern-day Amman Jordan. And the Bible says, this is in, in uh, chapter 20, it says the, he took the king's crown and he put it on his head. He took the enemy's crown, which weighed, it was filled with gold and jewels, weighed like 10 pounds or more, and he put it on his head. Now, the documentaries I read say, well, that's normal. You know, the king conquered the other land. It's normal. And I'm thinking, that's not normal for David. You're going to go conquer your enemy. You've had an affair. You've killed someone, and now you're going to ride it. You're going to take somebody else's crown of your enemy, and you're going to put it on his head, on your head. And then chapter 21, guess what he does? He numbers the people, and he has the census. Now, it wasn't against the law to number the army, but it was not what God wanted because David was doing it out of pride. And in turn, 70,000 people was sinned against the Lord, and 70,000 Israelites were slaughtered. Pride is an incredible destructor. Pride will kill notori real notoriety and kingdom fame. Our response at all times to God's grace and empowerment is always humility and submission to him and those he puts in position over us 
Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Stay humble, everybody. Stay low. Love, serve. Don't fall into false humility. Dig roots, produce fruit. Trust. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, you got to trust the people that God puts over you and know that I want your best. I really do. I don't want to see any of you idle. You all have gifts and promises. Do you know that when your gift is oppressed, you'll become depressed? If your gift's not expressed, you'll become depressed. But the gift has to be expressed at the right time. The most important thing is that you have become in your identity and you find your value You no matter what man says or thinks about you, no matter what your job performance is. And so, younger people, submit yourselves to elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. So not only are we submitted up to the authority and the elders God puts in our lives, but elders are to be submitted also to the people God's put under them. You know why? Because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. At the end of the day, I'm really here to serve you guys. At the end of the day, I'm really here to propel you. I don't need bodyguards. I don't need fame and fortune according to the world. I don't have to have the latest and greatest. And if God chooses to take a soundbite or a book or that I write or whatever, and he, want, and he chooses to make it bigger, popular, my main thing is I've got to learn to stay low and stay humble, and so do you. If that happens for you, success, finances, whatever comes your way, if you don't have the heart capacity and proper perspective, you'll fry out or you'll, get destruct, you'll fall into destruction. All of you be submissive to one another and be what? Clothed with what? Humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? He gives grace to the humble, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he would do what? Does God want to exalt you? When? The answer is in his due time. <laughs> so, you, so false humility, ah, I don't ever need to be exalted. Okay. God has a purpose for you and a gift inside of you and he cares about you and a destiny for you and he's called you to a body and he's got gifts inside of you so the devil works on overtime to get you caught up in alcohol, drugs, fornication, false identity, all this stuff so that you can't be effective and you can't be active. Or he'll get you to think more of yourself or prematurely promote. That's what he tried to do to Jesus. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Remember? He'll exalt you in his time. Stay, stay the course. Get a right heart perspective. Stay humble. Root out pride in your life. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. If you think you're standing, take heed, lest you fall. The take heed's the most important part. Take heed means I'm constantly focused on the lordship and the headship of Christ, and I'm humble, and I'm desperate, and I'm never allowing myself to think more of myself than who I am. I'd like to ask my ministry team, my prayer partners to please come up.